Well, if you would, turn to Exodus chapter 2. And you will need a, a set of notes, so hopefully you have those. Does everyone have a set, I think? All right. Well, we looked at the birth of Moses. We're walking through his life, uh, as you know. Uh, we're going to, up through November, we'll deal with pre, well, up through the Exodus. And then the, in the spring, that is in January, we'll look at uh, until his death. But uh, this morning is chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. I'll just read a portion of it, and then we'll get started. It says, chapter 2, verse 11, In those days, well, what are those days? It's the days of slavery. All right, that's the, the backdrop of, of chapter 1 and the first part of 2. When Moses had grown up, and if you recall, again, he was in Pharaoh's household. And we talked about this. It's probably most the... The first, not that that is that significant, but if it is, it's probably his daughter who later becomes Pharaoh. And as I argued, I, I believe Pharaoh was on a fast track for possibly being the next Pharaoh of Egypt. Grown up, in Acts chapter 7, Stephen tells us he's 40. All right, so how's that for growing up? All right, uh, he went out to his people and observed their hard labor. And he saw an Egyptian man striking a Hebrew man, one of his people. If you just heard that, you're right. It's repeated twice. So Moses is severing his ties with the Egyptians very quickly. He looked this way and that and saw that no one was there. And then he killed the Egyptian and concealed the body in the sand. When he went out the next day... So very quickly, there were two Hebrew men fighting. So he said to one who was in the wrong, Why are you striking your fellow Hebrew? The man replied, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Eventually, God will, right? But not yet. And that's the problem with Moses here. Are you planning to kill me like you killed that Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid, thinking, Surely what I did has become known. When Pharaoh heard about this event, he sought to kill Moses. So Moses fled from Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian, and he settled by a certain well. We'll read the rest of the text here in a minute. But as we look at this scene, I was trying to lay out the life of Moses. The first 40 years, he's in Egypt, right? The next 40 years, we're going to find him in the land of Midian. And the last 40 years, we'll be leading the Israelites through the wilderness. In your notes, uh, there's a quote by James Montgomery Boyce at the top. It's worth coming just for that quote today. He says, Moses was 40 years in Egypt learning something. He was 40 years in the desert learning to be nothing. And he was 40 years in the wilderness proving God to be everything. Isn't that a great quote? And that's exact, I, that just summarizes the life of Moses for me. Uh, I love this figure. But here you see, starting in chapter 2, verse 11, Moses sacrificing all that Egypt offered him. All right, all the luxury, all the training. I mean, this is the Harvard of the day. This is, uh, he's living in the who's who, uh, Martha's Vineyard, I don't know. He's got it all right there before him, right? And he chucks it to identify with the Israelites. And the irony of this as we start going into this passage, the irony is not only did the Egyptians reject him because he did this, his own people will reject him. Right? And I mentioned this there in your notes. I, Moses can't even deliver one Jew successfully in this scene on his own accord. 
And that's the point that we're going to see. And again, that's mentioned here. Moses' willingness to forgo the luxuries of the palace resulted in living in the desert. And the land of Midian, this is part of modern Saudi Arabia. We'll show you in a map later. There is nothing there. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's, it's pretty barren. And that's where he heads uh, partly to hide. <clears throat> well, in your notes, I mentioned there, verses 11 and 12, we see his people mentioned twice. And it's interesting. I, I'd like you to turn to Hebrews 11, if you would. Moses is mentioned extensively in two passages in the New Testament. One is in Acts 7. That's in Stephen's uh, defense, if you recall, right before he's stoned. Uh, he talks about... Uh, well, he walks through a bit of the history of Israel, and one of the men he highlights is Moses. But I want you to look at Hebrews 11. This is the hall of faith. Uh, many of these people, I understand why they're there. Abraham. Others, I wonder what in the world? Samson? I mean, come on. Uh, but uh, we're not talking about Hebrews 11 apart from Moses, and that's what I want you to look at. And, and, and I want you to look starting in verse 24. Notice what the writer states. Ah, start in verse 23. By faith, when Moses was born, his parents hid him for three months. We've already seen that account in Exodus. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, when he grew up, that's where we are in the text in Exodus, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be ill-treated with the people of God than to enjoy sin's fleeting pleasure. Did you catch that? Moses is willing to give up narcissism, hedonism, materialism to identify with the Israelites. But the irony is they don't want to identify with him. That's the whole point here in, in Exodus chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Notice the text says, let's go back to Exodus 2 and let's look at this. And by the way, I'm using uh, the Net Bible, the New English Translation. It's free online if you want to download a copy. It's... Uh, not that it's more inspired. I just like the way it renders the Hebrew and the Greek. All right. So uh, if you have an NIV, that's okay. It's not so inspired version, but it works. All right. Oh, that's bad. Um, and it says, after he saw, it says that he meant one of his people. He looked this way. Well, no, no. I want to back up. It says, Moses had grown up. He went out to his people and observed. The, the term there is interesting. It's one of great compassion. He looks and he sees what's happening. It's bad enough to be a, uh, a laborer in Egypt. They were looked down upon in the society, Egyptian society. But a slave, there are several Egyptian writings that talk about slaves were as, as if they were dead, zombies, or they're equated with donkeys. So remember... He's been trained in an Egyptian mindset, all right? So when he looks out and sees his own people being treated this way, there's great compassion. And that, again, is stated there in your text as he watches what happens. And so the text tells us, what does he do? He kills the Egyptian. It's the same term that is going to be used of God when he kills the Egyptians later. All right? So he, he kind of... Foreshadows what God is going to do. But look what the text says. He looked this way, verse 12, and that. Does someone have a different rendering in the English? There in verse, verse 12, he looked this way and that. 
Anyone have a different rendering? Yes. He looked in all directions. He looked in all directions. Yeah. <clears throat> There's two ways to render this. The first is that Moses was careful to avoid being detected. In other words, it's kind of what my, my kids will do, right? When they want to sneak a cookie. Uh, last night, um, my kids were <laughs> in the pantry and I had just come down the stairs and you know how kids are. You can just tell they're as guilty as sin, right? And they're just kind of, hi, Daddy. <laughs> hi, what you doing? Oh, nothing. Uh-huh. As I see the light still on in the pantry. Yes, yes. Did you get the gummy worms you wanted? Yeah. Oh, Daddy, yes. Right? It, it, that's the, the one idea. Another is Moses, it could be that Moses is looking to see if there's anyone to come to the rescue. He's watching what's happening. Who's going to step up to the plate? This is wrong. So there's two ways to render it. Based on our reading of the text, which view do you take? And why? <laughs> Help me out. It's not necessarily a right or wrong, but what is more likely the case here? Based on the context. He hid the body. He, he hid the body. I don't think it's the latter one, <laughs> though it could be. But it says he concealed him in the sand, right? What else would seem to indicate it's view number one. What else could you argue here? I, I think even just the response of, maybe I'm wrong, but the, the shock that someone knows it the next day, if, if it was purely done out of a motive of justice, then I don't think he'd be so shy about it. Now, it could be still that he's concerned what the Pharaoh might think. But certainly concealing the body would suggest there's more to this than simply looking to see who's going to step up to the plate. I'm going to do it. Even the severity of the attack, he could have just tried to break it up. Ended up a good point. Even the severity of the attack, because what does he do with the two Hebrews? Does he kill the one Hebrew that's beaten the other Hebrew? No. No. So, or uh, we're going to see later in a, in a scene with the Midianites uh, when these women are being harassed, he doesn't kill them either. But he does kill this Egyptian uh, taskmaster. Well, do you think it could be that he saw how the Hebrews were being persecuted through time and they just brought up with him and this was an outlet that he just. Oh, I, I, no doubt anger's coming forth. Uh, coming out yep. unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, uh, and we've already read a section, and you can go back and look at Exodus, how the Israelites are being treated, but certainly um, out of frustration. There are some scholars, this may surprise you, some early church fathers as well as reformers and even some modern scholars who argue what Moses did was not wrong. And they base that out of Acts. Um, and, and, and Moses, is, he's just an instrument of the Lord fulfilling it. Here's my problem with that, and this is there in your notes. I, I, I think that Moses has crossed the line. And I mentioned that in your notes that several see it as a law of retaliation based later in Exodus 21, or he's acting as an agent of God. However, whatever defense you give to me, he's acted wrongly. He had committed murder, and one commentator writes, and I think uh, Riken is correct, it was wrong because it was not Moses' place to do this, that is to murder the slave driver. It was the abuse of power, 
Rather than appointing himself as judge, jury, and ex executioner, he should have worked within the system. It was also wrong because it was not God's will. And that, to me, is key here. God had not yet called Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. It's so easy, isn't it, to run ahead of God? <laughs> We see all the crud around. It's like, oh, all right, I'm going to do this. And, and we rush ahead of the Lord, and that's when danger occurs. I, one of the great things with Paul, when I study his life, he's so sensitive to what the Lord has next for him. That, to me, is amazing. Because Paul is a type A personality, right? Let's get it done. Or where do we write the check? Let's move, right? And the Lord, he's so sensitive to say, okay, Lord, what is it you want next? And Moses here, I think it's, it's out of a fit of anger, uh, injustice, and all that this comes from it. Um, he's going to need 40 years in the wilderness to mellow, <laughs> isn't he? And, and we'll see what his task is in a minute. Well, in verse 13, if it's, it's not a... And, and look at the, temp, the time frame here. It says, when he went out the next day. <laughs> uh, it's very difficult to conceal sin. Isn't it? Uh, I think of the proverb, it'll be shouted from the rooftop. And, you know, Moses had to be surprised. I, I was writing in the notes. He, he saw no one was around, right? And he buried the body in the sand. So how did they find out about this? The guy the guy <laughs> yeah, the guy he saved, right? That's gratitude for you. Now, again, the guy that got saved could have said, you won't believe what Moses did for me. Uh, maybe, uh, <clears throat> but not even 24 hours has passed and, and here it's, everyone knows about it because knows what the text says, right? We just read it, but it says there were two Hebrews and they said, well, what are you going to do? The one says, you're going to kill me like you killed that Egyptian. I mean, it's already out of the bag. Everyone knows that you did this. And the fighting here, down at the bottom of page one of your notes, <clears throat> I mentioned it connotes physical fighting. They're not arguing a verbal attack. This is a literal physical attack. Uh, it's a sad commentary on the Israelites, isn't it? Uh, They're conditioned, though, aren't they? Uh, well, they are conditioned. Uh, being treated with violence, that's what they know how to, how to operate. You're right. There's an intriguing question that is asked of Moses when they said, are, are you, who made you ruler and judge over us? It's the same questioning that the Sodomites ask of Lot. Who appointed you over us? Um, the world does not like righteous behavior, <laughs> right? And the most quote, misquoted verse in scripture, you know, you're not to judge others, uh, missing the whole context of it. But that, that one's usually slapped out there in, in our society. You know, you know, it's okay for me. You do what you want. Leave me alone. And, and, and that's the kind of idea. We have a couple hands. Yes, yeah, Steve. Oh, no, you're just stretching. Pete. <laughs> David, where did he spend the night? Where did he? Uh, well, the next day he comes back. Uh, that night, was he in Pharaoh's palace? That's what the text would suggest. I mean, we're reading between the lines, but I would say yes. He doesn't... Uh, well, I think he thought he got away with it. Right? I think he thought, as most who commit sin, <laughs> oh, I've hit it, it's done, no one will ever know about this. But somewhere in the night he said, <clears throat> it's 
thinking to himself, what if Pharaoh finds out? Uh, do you think? Uh, maybe. We don't know. The text doesn't tell us. But he certainly does now that the Hebrews know. Yeah. Now that it's public, now he's got to be concerned. Yes, yeah, Steve, now do you have a... Okay. <laughs> I didn't know what was going on here. Okay. So uh, if the, the Hebrews were so mistreated, why did Pharaoh care if he killed them? Oh, wait. No, no, he killed an Egyptian. That's all right. That's all right. Had it been a Hebrew, no big deal. But now yeah, he's crossed the line here. In your notes on the top of page 2, I have a quote under verse 15. It says, as aptly noted by one scholar, in acting to defend the Hebrews, Moses was challenging the basic foundations, the social, political, and religious on which Egyptian society had been established. There's a hierarchy, there's a pecking order, right? There's, a, there's this stratosphere, and Moses has bridged that gap. It should come to no surprise that Pharaoh should seek to crush him, right? And that's exactly where we are. You know, it's interesting, and you're not going to be able to see this, and I apologize, I toyed with having the text in front of you from Acts. But I, I'd like us to take a few minutes. Acts chapter 7 records the same event that we see in Exodus chapter 2. But there are some differences, and they're very significant. All right? So what I'd like to do, just take a couple minutes, um, since you're in tables which you can share, maybe a couple of you can turn to Acts chapter 7, and the rest can turn to Exodus 2. But I'm going to give you a couple minutes, and just note the differences between the two texts. All right? Um, This is good Bible study methods. Notice what is omitted, note what is added by Stephen in recording this event. I'll give you a couple minutes.
he actually is. As, 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 a, as a prince of Egypt, he would never have traveled alone. Never. Um, and, and the other thing is, is that yeah. Hebrews overseeing or Egyptians overseeing Hebrews, there would have been thousands. There. It was a state-driven society, and these were working in the field. And the likelihood that there, there's an Egyptian and a Hebrew all by themselves out there in the middle of the desert is remote at best. Yes. Now it says that Moses doesn't see one, so I don't know if they're around a corner of a building. Right. Yeah. But but as a prince of Egypt, first of all, everyone knew he was a prince of Egypt. Oh yes, because every Egyptian there and every the regalia, the jewelry, everything would have indicated he was a royalty. But anyway, just that's a good point. I never thought about that, but you definitely, you know, you've got all the regalia. The Egyptians were key on on showing status by by apparel. Interesting is that everyone and at some point in time, Pharaoh's daughter, who rescues this Hebrew child, nurtures it with his own mother. Uh, so everyone knew he was a Hebrew. It's interesting. We're going to see with the Midian daughters. They think he's an Egyptian. Uh -huh. Right. Because he's going to have an accent that's Egyptian. He's going to some of his apparel. Forty years of training. Yeah. You've, yeah. You kind of foreshadows Daniel. All right. Thirty more seconds. <laughs> As we mentioned last week, Moses is mentioned over 800 times in the Old and New Testament. And the New Testament plays a key role. In fact, in many ways, Jesus is portrayed as the new Moses, leading his people into a new exodus. And that is a little bit of what Stephen is doing as he's rehearsing the history of Israel to say, you people are just like the Israelites of old, and God has sent leaders to you, and you rejected them. So that's what's driving his recounting of the story. But <clears throat> help me out. What does Stephen omit or add to the account in Exodus? No sand. <laughs> There's no sand. <sighs> Went without saying, but yes, no sand. What else? Hey, that's good. In Bible study methods, you want to write down the, even the obvious, all right? Because what might appear insignificant becomes very significant. Yes, what else? In verse 25, it seems to indicate Moses had thought of himself as the deliverer already at that point. This is why I argue it, we got a problem here. Because Moses is acting, in fact, God is silent in the text in Exodus. He doesn't appear until chapter 3, where we're going to be next week, right? That's when God appears. But until this point, but Moses understands. And I suspect it was mommy saying, you were beautiful when you were born. Remember the text? Even Stephen highlights he was beautiful. And we talked about that term last week. So Moses, uh, Moses understanding is there's something going on here. I, I feel God's hand on me. Yep. No Jamie. There's no Pharaoh. Yep. Moses assumed that the person he was rescuing knew that God was using him. Yes. And he made that assumption. 
assumes God is, is working. Yeah, understanding. And I'm going to put here, uh, it makes some assumptions. You can read my handwriting. What else? Yeah. This goes along that same line of Moses' understanding, but in Exodus, his act is portrayed as an act of guilt, or you know, he seems guilty, whereas in, in Acts, he's portrayed as noble. <laughs> Thank you. <clears throat> Remember, Stephen is talking to his audience, and he's he's gonna he he's gonna strip the guilt. For in the count of Exodus, Stephen's going to strip the guilt from Pharaoh. He's going to strip really the guilt from the Egyptians, and he's going to lay it all on the Israelites. God, God's hand was on Moses. May not been directly been commissioned yet, but what you've done is wrong because he was noble and trying to provide and care for you as Israelites, just as Jesus has done, and you've rejected him. Yeah, good, great point. Yeah. Along the same uh, line, there's none of this glancing. <laughs> yes. Uh, no looking around. This is why, um, based on the no looking around and the noble in particular, is why Calvin and others argue that what Moses did was legitimate. It was a righteous murder. Uh, interesting, isn't it? Uh, yes. Verse 35 says, uh, This Moses whom they denied saved, who said you ruler and judge? This one, God, as ruler and deliverer, has sent by the hand of the angel that appeared to him in the bush. Yeah. So, again, yeah, no Pharaoh, and there's a denying of his role. Is there anything that's been added that you want to include? I guess the noble we could put under the added. Anything else you, you have down there? Reconciliation. Yes, reconciliation. Moses is 40. That wasn't seen in Exodus, his account. Um, both the Hebrews were attacking one another. Um, <clears throat> we saw that, the difference there. Uh, you, and you mentioned, uh, and one of the Hebrews pushes Moses aside, which isn't mentioned in Exodus. Yeah, Paul. In 725 it says, He thought his own people would understand that God was delivering. It's not, even, not necessarily even implied in the Exodus passage. No, and I think that's part of the, the guilt for, for Moses. Doesn't, the two can be reconciled, right? Clearly. Uh, this is one of the, uh, when we studied Luke way back when, uh, if you recall, I talked about that when you have differences in the text, can they be explained? Yes. They can. You know, remember we mentioned the demoniacs. Mark mentions that there's only one. Whereas you look at Luke's corresponding account, he mentions two. Does that mean there wasn't another one? No. Mark just highlights the one because of the conversation that's going to follow. Uh, as Stephen is right, speaking to these Hebrews, these Israelites, he wants to highlight some things here in the text that do coincide with Exodus. And I just wanted to highlight that as we, we look at this account. Yeah, Paul. So 25 continues on to say they did not understand. And what jumps out to me about that is Stephen now takes it to your point to modern day and says you do not understand as well too. Hmm. Do you see that implied in that statement? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where he's definitely going <laughs> because he's, and then he now says they didn't understand. He says, you are just as stubborn and nasty as they are. 
which I don't know if I'd be saying when I know they're going to stone me. <laughs> it's not how to win friends and influence people. But anyway, yeah, one more comment wall. So Steve either has access to texts that we don't today, because I'm assuming this happened under two years before, right? So right. The way his only source is Exodus. Otherwise, inspired. <clears throat> oh, well. Not, I'm not saying he's making it up, but where does he come up with sure. this uh, Sure, we can't dismiss the Holy Spirit. All scripture is, is God-breathed. Secondly, uh, accounts, historical accounts of, of Moses are percolating all over the place through the Jewish writings in the Intertestament period. Philo has a whole book, the, the Jewish philosopher of the first century, a whole book dedicated to Moses. Sirach, uh, a book from the Intertestament period, has a whole section on Moses, which closely resembles what Stephen delivers here, by the way. So uh, these stories have been passed down and preserved. And remember, it's an oral society. This isn't the phone game. I often hear, well, you know, it's passed down and it's lost. And uh, remember, uh, Dan Wallace is coming uh, October the 28th, which we're hosting, and he's going to address that very thing about the preservation of the text. And that, uh, if you're not registered for that event, talk about an unashamed plug, uh, go to our website. Uh, it's free, and it's uh, uh, dessert reception. We'd love to have you. It's going to be a great evening. Well, let's go back to the text. Let's look at verse 16. It says, Now a priest of Midian <coughs> had seven daughters, and they came and began to draw water. Uh, I love this. Seven potential brides. <laughs> and if you're thinking, ah, a well, a wife, sounds familiar? You're right. Not a coincidence. What the writer is trying to show is this man, this Moses, is very similar to our other patriarchs. God is still working. And it's all at a well, right? Today it'd be Starbucks, but oh well, there we are. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's the hangout spot. That's right. The local theater or roller skating rink. I don't know. When some shepherds came and drove them away, Moses came up and defended them and then watered their flock. He, takes, he goes an extra mile, doesn't he? So when they came home to Ruel, it says their father, he asked, why have you come home to, so early today? Because Moses watered, uh, took care of it for them. They said, an Egyptian man, notice this, rescued us from the hand of the shepherds. What's his name? I don't know. Right? And rescued us from the hand of the shepherds, and he actually drew water for us and watered the flock. I mean, it's so amazing. They repeat what the extra mile that Moses did for them. He said to his daughters, so where is he? Why in the world did you leave this man go? I mean, hey, this is a husband for one of you. What are you doing? <laughs> Call him so that we may eat a meal, right? <clears throat> and Moses agreed to stay with the man, and he gave Zipporah, his daughter, to Moses. And when she bore a son, Moses called his name Gershon, for he said, I have become a resident alien in a foreign land. The plot thickens, right? As we look here in your notes, uh, I mentioned the land of Midian is probably, again, it's, it's near Saudi Arabia today or is part of Saudi Arabia. It's on the other side of the Gulf of Aqaba. Uh, Midianites, 
some were nomads and, and uh, probably in the last hundred years uh, they have determined no, there are even cities at this time frame that Midians had built. So the Midianites have cities as well as uh, nomadic in nature uh, cities, and I use in a loose term uh, in this area, primarily desert. And if you know anything about the Middle East, water is king. It's vital. It's more invaluable than oil in many ways. Uh, water is crucial, and it's the source of life. It, it, and, and, and so that they met at the well, not a coincidence. And I mentioned that there in your notes. The Hebrew is clear here that these shepherds are more than just insulting the women. They are, it's a sign, the, the term speaks of violence, brutality. They're harassing these women to a level that's, uh, some have argued even uh, maybe uh, threatening with molestation, etc. So, I mean, it's very dangerous for these girls, these seven. Now, there could be young boys with them, by the way. Um, in the Hebrew, if they're not at 13, uh, they would still use the feminine to refer. And so they could have children with them as well. We just don't know uh, if all seven were single. Um, <clears throat> And an interesting thing with the text, it tells us that the father's name in verse 18 is Ruel, which means friend of God. But here's the problem. What's the name of Zipporah's father later in Exodus? Jethro, right? Oh, we have an heir. Another problem in the text. <clears throat> no. There are some very viable explanations. One is, uh, we know several men in Scripture who have several names. And that was not uncommon in the ancient world to have more than one name. That's a possibility. The other is that Ra'el is Jethro's father. You say, whoa, whoa, whoa. In the text it says uh, that he is their father. <clears throat> but you can refer to your grandfather as your father. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that's also common in the ancient world. <clears throat> Pardon me. So there's a couple viable explanations, and that's there in your notes. We don't have to assume, oh my goodness, we have an error here. Not necessarily. Now, <clears throat> just to highlight these seven daughters that have come, remember that the Midianites are descendants of Abraham. All right? So we're still talking a Semitic group. That's why you have a name such as Rael, uh, which is a Semitic name, or Zipporah. Uh, those aren't foreign names. Those are not Arabic names or Egyptian names. Those are Semitic names. <clears throat> and that's key. Secondly to note is that they misdiagnose or identify Moses. They believe he is an Egyptian and they didn't catch his name. <clears throat> Forty years of being raised in the courts. Moses has undoubtedly an Egyptian accent. He has to be fluent in the language. Right? And his clothing, etc., would appear as an Egyptian. Down in the bottom of your notes, contrasting 2.11 through 15 with 2.16 through 22, Moses is not welcome in the Israelite community, but here is shown considerable hospitality by strangers. Israel does not appreciate his acts of justice on his behalf. The Midianites welcome it. Isn't that amazing? These long lost relatives welcome Moses with open arms. The Israelites will have nothing to do with him. The Israelites engage in accusations. The daughters of Ra'el 
publicly sing his praises. Could I have some coffee? Yeah, I'm high maintenance. Thank you. <laughs> coffee would be great. Those who stand within the community faith are abusive. Those without faith in Israel's God exemplify genuine relationship. <laughs> Moses willingly stays. The Hebrew highlights that by the term that it uses. And then interesting as we look at this, Moses will settle, thank you, will settle in the land. He will settle in this region of, of, of region of shepherds. It's a perfect occupation. Moses needs to learn patience. <laughs> he needs to learn how to lead and to care legitimately for the people, right? And it takes 40 years. I've had guys that go on to seminary. Uh, I taught a, uh, a lot of courses that were designed for pre-seminary. Uh, well, they were called, it was for a pre-seminary track. So they'd be taking first and second year Greek. And a lot of these guys say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to serve in the ministry, but I don't need cemetery. Uh, it'll kill me. I don't need to go on for seminary. And I'll look at them and say, listen, you have a whole life to serve the Lord. Uh, but if God has given you this opportunity, you need to take it. You need to go on for seminary training. Moses took 40 years for, for a training. With the Midians. Isn't that amazing? You know, it's interesting. It's in your notes. It's in that big paragraph. <clears throat> the Psalms describe God as a shepherd who leads his flock out of Egypt. Uh, Psalm 77 20, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Isn't that great? Like Moses and Aaron. And where did Moses learn how to shepherd? It's here. And he has Zipporah, and I've given you what her name means. And he has Jershon, which means to drive out or to expel. Some say, ah, it's foreshadowing the Exodus. No, I think it's the immediate context is that he has been expelled out of the land that's been his home, Egypt. And all the comforts that come with that, right? Uh, Dick gave a great point. Being a prince of Egypt, he would have had a whole slew of attendants, <laughs> servants. You've seen Downton Abbey, right? I mean, come on. I mean, he has all of it right there before him. And now he's got to take care of it himself and taking care of flocks. <clears throat> but I love it. You see even Moses' servant heart and his, his concern for justice even at the well, don't you? Even back with the Egyptian beating the, the Israelite. God's molding and shaping him, but he's going to take another 40 years to do it, which is amazing. I just pray he doesn't need 40 years for us, right? <laughs> Lord, teach me, but quickly. Yeah. <clears throat> Many years ago, I remember someone saying that the, the 40 years wandering with Moses in Midian would have given him familiarity with the wilderness wanderings of Israel. That is a great point, and that's another thing. Not only learning how to shepherd, but knowing the terrain, because they will wander in this region, and, uh, and, and how to, 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 to ascertain water, how, how to, to live in this land. Uh, the Bedou Even today, the, the modern Israel has tapped into many of the nomadic Bedouins of this era on how to handle water irrigation, and how to handle uh, preservation of water, etc., uh, it's amazing because uh, there's nothing out in the desert. Well, let's move. Let's look at uh, some application. So what, right? All right. Love it. Hoffa, thank you. I got up at 
four in the morning to get here and you're t telling me something I already knew. Well, here's the intersect. Number, letter A, as believers, we need to be careful not to act in the flesh, but according to the Lord's leading. We are not the Lord, he is. You know that. It's just a reminder. Um, it's allow him to lead. Allow, allow him to take vengeance as a believer. Right? Let him go before you. His paddle is a lot thicker than yours anyways, right? Uh, letter B. Let's go to the next one. Uh, oops. Letter B here. We are called to identify with the Lord's people even when it's inconvenient or even costly. Moses could have rationalized his position in Pharaoh's palace. Instead, he refused to compromise. I could hear it. Well, I can do a lot more for the Israelites if I just lay low and stay in the palace. Think about the resources I could tap into for the Israelites. <laughs> but no, right? And so be careful as you commit to the Lord and you think through. Uh, and that's becoming more and more of an issue in our society, right? Identifying with Christ and identifying with the church. And then finally, here's the great news. Despite our failures, God still chooses to use us. And there's three texts that go with these applications you can look at later today. But isn't that wonderful? <coughs> uh, look at Moses. After all of this, God still uses him. That's exciting. There's a quote there by Wesley, which I'll close with. I'm no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to, to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or lay aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. It's what John the Baptist said in John 3. He, Christ, must increase. I must decrease. Right? And in the beauty of it, God uses us. Well, let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for these men. We thank you for the text. Uh, your words that do not come back void. And Lord, what encouragement we can find in a life such as Moses, who yes, he blew it, but you still saw fit to use him in a mighty way. Lord, thank you for your grace in our lives. Be with these men today. In Jesus' name, amen.